Another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. We have boots on the ground in Las Vegas at NBA Summer League, coming to you live from an undisclosed hotel on the Las Vegas Strip. And I am joined remotely by John Kraft, who is still in the Central Time Zone, watching the Grizzlies from afar. Kraft, how you doing? Doing well. A little jealous, but uh, other than other than being envious of you. Um, I'm excited about talking a little bit about some Grizzlies. Yes, we have actually a lot to cover. When we started making the list of everything that has broken in regards to news from the time that we last recorded, the list has started to to build. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start off by just talking about the Summer League, how the experience has been so far here. We'll get into the basketball itself, and then we're going to run through weekend style the news, point by point, breaking down everything that has happened in the last week or so, maybe week plus. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun episode. So let's get into it. I'll give a summary of of how things have been going so far. So I landed in Las Vegas Sunday night. Slight delay on the flight. Spirit Airlines is always you know uh, you know up and down. But I feel like all flights are that way these days. We get to the we get to the hotel. It's I've flown through Vegas before. It's first time though outside of the airport. It is amazing the amount of construction going on in preparation of the November Formula One race. There, in fact, they have not even started on the actual paddock, like where the pit is, uh, and it is it is. All the Uber drivers are bemoaning how how long uh, this construction has been going on and how they're having to repave all of these different roads to have the exact type of asphalt needed for these cars. And so that, in addition to the uh, Super Bowl coming to Vegas in the next couple of years, as well as the rumors now that are out there about if the NBA does ever ex- decide to expand and then an- another team coming to Vegas, I mean, it's... It's pretty incredible. I heard a stat that in the last 10 or so years, the population has uh, more than doubled in Vegas. So this this seems to, and the summer league is growing every single year. Uh, yeah. So anyway, and, it's it's and been I guess crazy. They announced the, the, they're having that the, the in season tournament, right? Semifinals and finals are going to be in Vegas now too, right? Absolutely. That is the advertisement for the NBA everywhere. You've seen some summer league uh, posters and such, but it is the in-season tournament that they have decided to really go all in on. And also, everybody's talking about the sphere. And this thing is crazy in person. Uh, We landed and it was still daylight, but as soon as we got to our hotel and the sun started to set, (laughs) I mean, we walked out... Uh, just to kind of get the lay of the land, and that thing is striking. I actually went on a a late-night jog yesterday just because I had been sitting around watching hoops for like six hours and just needed to to get out and had to do some work beforehand. And I our our hotel's about a mile uh, from the Sphere, and so I went and got a few videos, and it is nuts. If you, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should you should Google it 
right now uh, for Summer League. They've actually turned this thing into, it looks like a basketball with like a million LED lights on the outside. They're going to have a U2 concert to fully, once this, it's not complete yet. They're still working on the the inside and the surrounding area, but it's going to be this new arena with, I mean, 40 experience inside. Apparently, this is uh, all hearsay from from what I've heard from locals around here. But that is, that is the new spectacle here in Vegas, and I got to say, it did not disappoint. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I was reading that it was that it's like uh, take the best HD TV you can buy right now, and it's like ten thousand times more. Uh, precise or just that good of a picture, but then that huge too. Um, I don't know how anybody drives with that thing there. I would be so distracted. Yes. Uh, the the creepiest thing I've seen on the sphere, because they rotate images like last night they had, it was almost like a snow globe uh, deal. Then it was a the actual globe itself uh, rotating, but they also had this this eye. It was like the eye of Sauron, except it was a human eye, and you could see, you know, like the the parts of the eye that you don't really want to see in HD up close. And it was it was a little disturbing. I preferred it to be, you know, the basketball with the summer league right. on it. That or just that like was the globe one. or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, as far as the just Las Vegas apart from summer league goes, that was. That's been the most striking thing. And then um, for those that have been to Vegas before, this will be old news. But it really is astounding uh, just the the sheer size of, of these hotels. We walked through Caesars, and that thing covers like six city blocks just within its own compound. We got to hang out at the, uh, the sportsbook area, which if you haven't seen a picture of this, I mean, there are just screens everywhere. Uh, on the wall, you sit in your own recliner, you know, food and drinks are, are served and it's, it is the place to watch sports. Uh, if you're, if you're interested in that and maybe put down a friendly wager or two for fun, which, uh, I do not recommend, I do not recommend wagering on summer league games because these things are as unpredictable as, as they come, which I learned the hard way. Um, but yesterday was the, uh, the first day that, I got to go to the arena. I decided, so the Grizzlies were playing in the very first game in the Cox Pavilion, which if you're unfamiliar with how Summer League is set up, uh, it's on the UNLV campus. The Thomas and Mack Center is the the main gym. And so all, I would say, the, uh, the games that have notable lottery picks are usually scheduled to be in, in this arena because it can hold, you know, triple the, the amount of people that the other pavilion can. But... I actually prefer the experience from a fan standpoint because I got to watch a game in both arenas, but the Cox Pavilion is unlike anything uh, that you can see in an NBA context because there's no bad seat. I actually wanted to guarantee that I got as close as possible to the floor behind the Grizzlies bench, and so um, I got to the arena like an hour beforehand, uh, and, and that's exactly when they started letting fans in. I actually got dropped off as they were opening the doors. So I was one of the very first fans in the arena. You have to walk around and actually get to the walk, the, the, the part that connects these two together. So you don't have to go outside in the 112 degree heat, uh, to, to walk between arenas. But I got on the, uh, about three rows behind the Grizzlies bench. And what was pretty fun is 
as the game got closer and closer, the players started warming up. Really, this section was Grizzlies Central from a from a uh, actual team employee and media member standpoint. Um, it was funny. There was a guy sitting next to me, and he was going to grab food. He there was one seat between us, and he like I said, went out to grab food, and all of a sudden, Jason Wexler walks up, and he asked me if this seat is taken, and this guy had asked me to save it, and so it took everything in me to uh, to be the good Samaritan and basically tell Jason Wexler, I'm sorry, it is taken, uh, but but what happened later on, it, it actually came around, so you know, may this be a lesson to everyone. Uh, there was a seat that then opened up on my other side. So I had two seats open and it was about the only open seats in the first 10 rows. None other than Brevin Knight walks into the arena about midway through the second quarter. And he sits in that seat next to me. And so I got to hang out with Brevin talk for about a half, uh, about the, just the Grizzlies in general, his experience so far at summer league, his opinion on some, on some players, and so it, it ended up paying off in the end, and then Wexler actually ended up moving down a couple rows in front of me because none other than uh, former Grizzlies front office member John Hollinger, who is a notable national media member uh, as well, was sitting next to him, and they were, you know, reminiscing on old times, I can almost guarantee, and then, you know, the the usual suspects, Chris Vernon, John Roser came, sat right behind them, and just got to hear some fun conversations around and, and just take in the game with all of these, uh, you know, these folks that we either listen to on a regular basis or, you know, are the main stakeholders and decision makers for the team. And of course the way that this works as well is across from the benches on the court side uh, area, you've got your coaches that sit there. So Jenkins was in the house. You have your GM. So Kleiman was there. Uh, sitting next to Jenkins, I, it was really cool to see up close their interactions because they you could tell they were they were locked in to the game and they were really um, you know they were they were I'm sure having some some jokes and some fun but at the same time it was they were truly evaluating what was going on and Luke Kennard walked in uh, Xavier Tillman with his entire family was was sitting courtside so and then Zaire as well sit, sitting in that area came over talked to the guys during halftime uh close to us and took the everything in me not to you know yell something but again i just wanted to i wanted to put put a good uh, foot forward yep that's right um so and you know we had we had the john morant support tweet out for zaire that i felt like was a, a subtweet directly at me i will not back down uh and at the same time I, I, there's rumors that you know they had that there's that famous picture that was taken on uh, on Saturday, I believe, that had Zebo and Bain and um, uh, and uh, Jaron and then and Zaire and then of course uh, some somebody on Grizzlies Twitter cropped out Zaire and I, I think there's some some accusations have gone out that that might have been you that put that out there. I can neither confirm nor deny. I'll have to speak with my legal representation uh, before I say anything publicly on the matter. But uh, no, it was it was really 
cool to see uh, in that in that situation where it really and truly is a relaxed environment. And I, we were right next to they have a blocked off section uh, to where you have to be credentialed to a certain level, which, by the way. Every other person that is walking around in this situation has a credential around their neck. They're either a team employee or a media member or have somehow uh, finagled themselves into having some some credential. They are giving them out like candy. Um, and so, you know, next year, definitely going to apply and see what the process is for the Grizzden Pod to take an official uh, full business trip out to Vegas for this. Uh, but no... It, it's, it's also incredible to see there are two full rows of coaches and trainers that are on these these uh, benches. And it's just it's 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 wild to me the scope at which these teams have built out their staffs and how seriously they're taking it. I mean, you can look back only, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and that's only 30 percent of what it is now, the staff that's there and, and actively involved in the game. But next, like I said, the next the section right next to us, you know, Brad Stevens was just walking in casually. Daryl Morey, because the Sixers were playing right after the Grizzlies were sitting up there. Um, all your favorite podcasters are walking around. They have a little courtside media section as well for those that are actually working. So you know, all the beat writers and things like that. Um, but just a couple of kind of fun anecdotes from from being up close. There was a point in the game when. It was about seven or so odd seconds left to go in the half. And by the way, the officiating is very rough. It is it is summer league for the referees too, and you know it. Uh, pretty pretty soon after starting the game, uh, you could see that these were these were trainees. As someone pointed out, the the numbers on the back of the the referee uniforms were in triple digits. Which means these are that that is essentially the order of of I don't want to say rank, but that's kind of that's kind of what it is. And and so all the officials had a, you know they were in the hundreds for what it's worth. Uh, some very rough calls. They had trouble managing the game. Kenny Lofton had six fouls in the game. Luckily, you you don't foul out until you have ten. So they they allow players to play, but it was still rough. Well, at one point. They were trying to reset the clock. It had it had gone down to about six point seven or so, and they wanted to reset the clock to seven point three. Well, they're having trouble communicating with the desk, and the clock goes to seven point four instead of seven point three. Meanwhile, they had stopped a fast break or a quick inbounds opportunity for the Grizzlies because the uh, the Cavaliers who we were playing had just scored. We were trying to get the ball in and go to get a good shot before halftime. Well, uh, they they change it to 7.4 instead of 7.3. Gigi Jackson is taking the ball out of bounds. He's trying to grab the ball from the ref, and he basically is yelling at him because they're trying to get this fixed, and he's like, it is, it's basically the same thing. He goes, it's a nanosecond. And everybody in our section laughs because it's 7.4 instead of 7.3. Gigi Jackson is just trying to play ball, and everybody was just cracking up. Uh then, later on in the game, Donovan Mitchell, like I said, we were playing the Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell was courtside. Of course, they do the ESPN interviews for any players that are notably on the sidelines. Well, then, Donovan Mitchell, after his interview, walks over courtside, and I notice it's the uh, it's Kevin, the security guard, 
with the Grizzlies, who made himself internet famous by when Dylan Brooks and Donovan Mitchell had that scuffle in Cleveland where Dylan Brooks may or may not have intentionally hit Mitchell where it hurts. Uh, Kevin, when they started fighting, had gone and tackled Dylan Brooks to keep him from the altercation and had broken a rib in the process. And so it was really funny because Mitchell walks over, daps up Kevin, and you can see him asking how his rib was. And I just thought that was a really cool moment that it, you know, you, you know so small. That, but What's awesome about that is I saw, so they kept on TV, they caught Donovan Mitchell right after his interview uh, going over to him. And in my mind, I was like, I wonder if that's what they're talking about. So it's cool to know that that's, that's what it was. Oh, a hundred percent. And you just, it was, it was one of those, if you know, you know, uh, moments and, and a couple people around us were, were talking as well about that. Last thing I'll say just about the, the experience and, um, on our flight over, we were, uh, waiting with a guy who, who he's from Memphis and there's a, there's a guy on the team named Nathan Hoover. If you're not familiar, he played in the Memphis area in high school, went on to play college ball at Wofford, and has been playing overseas for the last year or so. And he got a call from the Grizzlies. Hadn't played in summer league before, but he's a kind of a local local product. Ended up getting in, in on the roster, and he hadn't gotten any PT yet. But we were talking to this guy who's a family member. And so when we were, when I was walking into the arena early, they were also there pretty early at the same time to try to get a close seat. It was um, probably four or five of these family members uh, for Hoover. And he ended up getting in, in the last five minutes and scored. He even, I think he had like either two threes in a, in a, in a layup or um, something around there, but two or three shots he made. And it was just really, really cool to be reminded how this is such a unique opportunity for a ton of players. Summer league rosters aren't just draft picks. They are players that have have been signed from overseas or have had you know trouble making it into the league somehow. It is truly a showcase for the G League and you know there's all different types of goals going on with these players and the I would say the latter half of each of these rosters is just trying to get an opportunity in a G League team and you know if you're if you're on a G League team it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a contract with the main team or even will get that opportunity um, but you're reminded to how everyone in these games is an unbelievable athlete or has a an elite basketball skill and what separates you know the top 0.1% who end up making it to the league versus let's say the top 3% of basketball players, it is a fine margin. And this was high-level basketball, of course, amidst all the all the sloppiness from kind of putting a team together for a week of play, of play or two weeks. But you're just reminded of these really cool stories and how this can be kind of the highlight of, of a player's career. And in Nathan Hoover's case, I hope it's not the, the, the peak for him, but it was really, really neat to see – um, a Memphis player get in a summer league game on the Grizzlies, hit a few shots, and and maybe get an opportunity down the line uh, to where he can he can potentially be on a on a G yeah. League roster. So yeah, it's, it, it's one of the fun things about summer league uh, for me is just seeing guys and knowing that they're kind of fighting 
for for their livelihood in a sense or their last you know kind of gasp effort at um, you know at being able to play prof- basketball professionally in the United States um, and so, so a lot of them end up going you know they can make a little more money over in Europe potentially uh, but it's kind of like fulfilling that dream you know I mean it's kind of the th- reason why I guess you know I grew up really enjoying minor league baseball too it's that sort of a bunch of guys trying to sniff. And I remember it was forever ago now, Lionel was still the coach, but through connections, it was the draft we took uh, Tony Roten in <laughs> instead of Draymond Green, uh, infamously. But uh, but I remember through connections getting to go to some draft workouts. And then afterwards, they brought in a bunch of guys that I sort of recognized some names from college, and they were a little older than the draft workout guys. And I remember being like, who are these guys? And they're like, oh, well, they're – they're all trying out for summer league. Like they're all guys coming in, you know, 15, 20 guys to try to be those six or seven spots that like the Hoover spot, like of making summer league, you know, and maybe getting in in summer league. And just, I remember being just uh, completely overwhelmed by how good they all were (laughs) watching them play and watching them shoot and realizing that these guys were just trying to sniff a summer league roster and how good they were. And it just made me realize just how good, and how how amazing NBA uh, basketball players are. So, so it's really cool to get to get to be that. I'm, that's why I'm so envious of you. I get to kind of experience that really up close and personal in summer league. It's really fun. Yeah, and a former Grizzly, Sam Merrill, in the game could not miss, and he hasn't. I don't think made a, a roster uh, anywhere yet. And I mean, he is an elite shooter. Uh, we also had Amani Bates, who of course has his own Memphis ties in the game. So there are a lot of lot of chatter in the uh, in our Grizzly section about about that. And he played okay. Um, yeah. He really is. Uh, I mean, he's so such, has such a slight frame when you're up close, but he he has height and he also has the ball skills and can shoot. So I'm gonna be he he got taken in the second round by the Cavs, and so I'm going to be interested to see um, if he makes any noise on their roster. It's, it's tough to beat them if they're going to – if if uh, Imani Bates and Sam Merrill go crazy from three. It's it's the, the – you know, that was a tough game yesterday. So Yeah, they truly met, couldn't miss. Uh, okay, from a from a basketball standpoint, Kraft, what are, the, what are the observations that you've taken away so far from Summer League? It doesn't just have to be this last game, but overall, yeah. what's your yeah, evaluation so- of everybody? So, yeah, so we've had, I think, from sort of our NBA, uh, our guys that are our roster guys, I feel like we've had four games, I think. And then with uh, Gigi, our draft pick, um, uh, we've had five games. Um, I'm not, I know that we also had that other second round pick, and he's played a little bit, but um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be stashed anyway. So, um, and so, yeah, so a few takeaways is just, uh, you know, all of them have had their moments. I think, I've enjoyed uh, kind of the things they were good at. I've enjoyed seeing almost everybody continue to be that way. I feel like, uh, you know, that that Roddy continues to look good. You know, I think he's forcing a little bit to my liking, but it's also summer league, so I'm trying to not be too upset about that. But him, uh, which was funny when you talk about the refereeing, <laughs> like the the, uh, the triple-digit refs have very uh, – they don't know what to do with Roddy and his physicality because I feel like he's getting a crazy whistle where – um, the last two games, he's had so many drives where he just gets killed, like and not no calls, and then sometimes, but then sometimes they'll let him just 
totally offensive foul somebody to get the basket and not and not call it. So it's been weird, but it's been good to see him use his body more. He's he's had just a couple moments where he just made some really good moves, um, both in Salt Lake and in Vegas that have really been encouraging. You know, obviously for us, we'd like to see him be a little more consistent with three ball, and I think part of that is he's just forcing some. But but I think you got to be encouraged by what you've seen from him. I think with Laravia, you know, the shot has not been as accurate, but I think I am encouraged by the attempts because I feel like that is uh, last year in summer league especially, and then really a little bit in the season, the issue was the attempts that he would just not put it up. And so in some ways it's like this, I think this is, you know, um, steps forward for him. I like his aggression. I think he's also, uh, we can get really three happy sometimes, and I think he's done a good job of driving in and getting, uh, and getting fouls, uh, which I think, is, which is an NBA skill, and so I've liked that. And I just think one thing that stands out for me, and I don't know if you think this too, with Laravia, is is his height really does stand out. Like that he is big. That uh, that when he gets a smaller guard, especially if he can get inside, or just like on defense as well. Obviously, he's not quickness is not his thing, but but he does position himself well. And I think he uses his size. Um, if Roddy uses his like strength and body width well, I feel like Laravia uses the height that he has uh, really well. And so, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. Uh, ne- neither of them have shown me anything to make me think that Luke Kennard would not be the starter in the first 25 games, um, which I think is kind of what I'm looking at. But I think both of them have, have, done good enough to where like, oh, I feel good about them being back of rotation, uh, you know, eighth, ninth guys. Uh, so that, in that way, that's been encouraging. Um, I, so before I just, so I don't talk forever. What do you think about those two guys, uh, LaRavia and Roddy? Yeah, I would say for LaRavia, I do appreciate the attempts increasing. However, it was noticeable to me how many, how many shots that he could have gotten that he still would either pump fake or just keep it moving, uh, which I don't mind a, an offense that is free-flowing. But if it's a guy like LaRavia, who I know possesses this shooting potential and has shown us at times what he can do, I just want a quicker trigger. Like, that's all. If you have a little bit of space, it is even if you feel that the right play is maybe swinging it and keeping the offense going, it – oftentimes feels as if he is still passing up shots. And so that would be my only critique. You're right about the size. It, it is it is, it is a, an advantage for him. And he, I would say, has been playing at a B-plus level overall, which is fine. He was going to be the one to watch for me this summer league because I wanted to see a noticeable, noticeable leap. I haven't, I've seen signs of more maturity and when he, for instance, is uh, not involved in a play, I feel like he's making the right off-ball cuts. I also feel like defensively he knows the system a little bit better now and is making their rotations uh, more cleanly. But still, there is this this one... Uh, for instance, Sam Merrill. Every single time he touched the ball, you were nervous because you thought he might get to a spot that he likes, and if you give him an inch of breathing room, he is going to pull. And I feel like he – and Sam Merrill doesn't have the height that Laravia has. No. So I, I think there yeah, is – He has this, to be fast. Yes. So there's this next gear that I feel like Laravia still has. As far as Roddy goes, I was really impressed with, especially in the second half of yesterday's game, his ability to get to the rim. 
Uh, he had a few spin moves that left the crowd kind of going ooh and ah. He his handle is is tighter. Um, he still is more turnover prone than I would like, and I think that summer league has kind of a turnover inflation to it. So you have to price that in just because you're you're not in a true system yet, and you're not playing with with guys that you will be normally. And so I think that he's, but he still he sometimes lets the handle get away from him, is making some some passes that are not quite open enough. And But overall, I mean, you could tell when the Grizzlies were making a push to get back in that game in the early fourth quarter, you felt that Roddy w- was taking over and successfully getting to the line. And he has a pretty, cl- pretty good-looking shot, especially from the free-throw line. Um, so I would say for him, I mean, it was about an, a B-plus, A-minus as well. So... To me, there haven't been like red flags with those two guys, but you're right. I I think Luke Kennard is still the uh, the favorite to be in that starting role. Yeah, I mean, I really like uh, Roddy's footwork is great, and I think that's something he has improved. I mean, I think that is like a natural ability too. He's just very quick on his feet for the guy his size. But I've really enjoyed that too, and and I do. I I think so too. The decision making. I will say a lot. You know, a lot of his turnovers are him trying to drive in the lane, and he was getting fouled. I mean, on replays, it was it was very clear that he was fouled um, and weren't called. Um, and you know, it is one. You know, for both him and Laravia, honestly, because Laravia has a little better back knack of holding on to the ball and then getting a foul called on him or just drawing the fouls. Uh, you know, it's hard to know. Uh, if those fouls are going to be called, you know, in the, in the actual NBA and it's bad refing, but you also, it's hard to know, uh, can these guys bring that when there is actual better spacing because, you know, teams trust our players, you know, they're not going to leave Kennard and Bain. We have Kennard and Bain on the floor. You are going to get spacing. And so, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that, that driving, um, ability up. So when they get into real games, uh, the last two players I wanted to specifically discuss were Kenny Lofton and Gigi Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lofton is just a joy to watch in person. He, he to me, is is still figuring out when to, to, um, when to push his shot versus when to get others involved. I've loved this uh, kind of elbow action that they have him in. He's kind of the hub of the offense, which is if you watched him last year at all, it's pretty shocking that, that they're trusting him to be the the main distributor and the, the, um, you know, I guess you could say like the first, first step in whatever action they're running, uh, but he's doing it pretty well. I, I think he's, he's always good for a, um, you know, last few seconds on the shot clock bailout type attempt. And he he didn't shoot it well from three yesterday, but he's he's hit a few threes and can uh, his range is out there. Um, I thought he has played a bit better on offense in picking his spots and uh, just just has a better understanding there instead of just go instead of it just being go 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 just head down. Uh, defensively, I still have some concerns. He did he had six fouls, like I said in, in that game. You're allowed ten in summer league, but he. He, I think, was had all the right ideas, but would sometimes do some minor things like swiping instead of just keeping his hands up. And it was the coaches were saying just as much every time he would come. And basically, whenever they took him out of the game, um, they were they were harping on that point. Just if you're you're playing good defense, just don't make it don't make it too blatantly obvious when you're trying to to block a shot and don't swing through. Um, I will say this too. 
playing a Cleveland Cavaliers team, which they had Isaiah Mobley inside. Um, they had another center uh, in there that were great rebounders, and Lofton was doing all that he could to try to pull down um, any semblance of rebounds and, and push the pace. He could actually handle the ball as soon as he, he, he pulled it down. And so I think rebounding is one area that I was more impressed than not with Lofton. Um, but I still think there's some maturing to do. Uh, the tools are there. I'll just say that. The tools are there. Yeah. No, that's been the thing I've been most encouraged by with him. Because coming in, um, it was very apparent. The guy can score. The guy knows how to run offense. Um, but it was defense and then just rebounding. Um, and I think that the rebounding has been – I've been impressed with that. Like I think that's been really helpful. Um, uh, he's been just – he's been great at rebounding. Much, much improved from last year. That's by far the thing that stood out to me. Um, yeah, and defensively it's still hard. It's, I think that's – because for me, I, my, my, I just keep thinking like how can he work and it's trying to figure out, you know, it can – can he be quick enough uh, to be able to play the four next to because because of his shooting ability? Like he can definitely play with like a Stephen Adams, and, and obviously Jaron would be great to play with because Jaron could defensively help him. Uh, but it's wondering if can he kind of do that? Um, would he be able to ever be an actual five? Like he's just trying to figure out because he's in that weird in between. You know, unfortunately, if the league was the way it used to be, you know, when we had a guy like Zach Randolph who struggled defensively at times. Um, we were able to hide him uh, through because of all the other things he did so amazingly well. I'm not saying Lofton has that potential to be that good, but but I think he just has a lot of potential. And I'm excited about seeing how we're going to use him, if he can make it the rotation, what kind of matchups Jenkins would like to see him in. Um, he's just he's just so intriguing. I mean, I, I've it's been forever. I mean, this might be blasphemous to some people, but I mean, it's he's the first guy in forever that reminds me of when I was super young, a young Charles Barkley and kind of the way offensively, the way Charles Barkley kind of played that in and out style. Um, he obviously does not have the athleticism and the speed that Barkley had, you know, because obviously Barkley's one of the best players ever. Um, but this, the, the interesting, like not being the same height, but playing bigger than he is and having all the moves and being able to shoot. And, and he is, I mean, it is unbelievable. I don't know, you know, that if you watch me, we, you know, that Jenkins comes out of the sort of Milwaukee Bucks, Coach Bud system, but they love that, you know, the secondary, the North Carolina secondary fast break where you throw it back to the big man trailing, you know, for them, that's Brooke Lopez. And, uh, and like, he is amazing. I, it, it's almost, I know it's not a hundred percent, but it feels like he's a hundred percent from three on those secondary fast break trailing threes from the top of the key. He's so good at that. It's just like, it's almost automatic. I mean, it feels like when Kennard shoots three wide open threes, that's the way he, that's the way uh, Lofton feels when he puts up um, those, those uh, kind of secondary break threes. So I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, but I've, I've been more encouraged than I, I've been the doubter in the Grizzden podcast <laughs> of him. But I think after I felt more like, um, you know, and honestly seeing the Nuggets win the title, um, with a lot more offensive skilled players than defensive skilled players, so I, I'm I'm having more of an open mind about Lofton and his future with the team than I ever have before. Um, and then the other guy we talked about is Gigi Jackson, and I you know I've been texting y'all. I'm trying to not get too excited. I feel like what people felt about Lofton uh, last summer league is the way that I'm beginning to feel about Gigi Jackson, just because of the age. You know him being younger, it it just feels like he is better than Zaire was 
uh, when Zaire came in, when we drafted him, and he's you know in that same kind of super young for his age, had a weird year in college, and but I just and I don't I don't know if he has the ceiling that Zaire has with all of his tools, but obviously with Zaire he's not hit that ceiling or come close to it, and I just what I appreciate is coming in that you know was that he 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 had moves like he could create separation, create his own shot. He just would miss that shot, and I felt like his first Salt Lake City game kind of felt that way. It was like he made this unbelievable move that almost made me gasp and then put up and then it was like, you know, hit the side of the backboard, you know, and uh, and and he still has a little bit of that, but I've really enjoyed, he's been, you know, seems very coachable, been under control and, and his three-point shot's been way better than I expected, especially for somebody his age who's getting used to the NBA three-point line. He's been really good. Uh, I like that in Saturday's game, he hit big shots down the stretch. I know it's summer league, but when it's a tie game with two minutes left and he hits two threes, um, you know, on a swing swing, basically what we want Dylan to do that he didn't do in the playoffs, like what what we need guys to do, like he was able to hit those. And I've really liked when he gets smaller guys on him, his ability to get in the lane and and get over them. And I just, I just see so much potential with him. And so that's been, it's been, you know, we went from drafting him and us on the pod trying to figure out who he was um, as we were drafting him on our live draft pod uh, to kind of researching him and seeing, okay, he's a big recruit. You know, it felt like, again, we've had the Chris Wallacey theme uh, of like a big recruit that didn't do well. But I've, I've been really excited about his potential. And the great thing is it's like you just know he's going to get an entire year in the G League. There's going to be zero, like zero – he is not coming up, you know, and going to play real minutes. He'll probably he might get some two way minutes, but um, but he has an entire year to develop. And I'm really like I'll be very very pumped to see what he's like in summer league next year. And he is he is somebody who I if if we're kind of doing a copy of the Miami Heat this year and having this undrafted you know or second late second round draft guy come in and surprise everybody in playoff minutes uh, in like two or three years. I mean, I, I could see Gigi Jackson being that kind of guy. Yeah, I think the the optimism pre-Summer League is higher than it it was. Uh, or excuse me, post, post having seen him in Summer League is higher than it was pre-Summer League. I'll say this, he's never seen a shot he doesn't like. However... I know that he is not going to be relied upon to be an actual productive member of the Grizzlies roster for a while. He will be in South Haven. He's he will be on a two-way. How and I appreciate I would rather have a player that is more aggressive than we might need him to be to fit on this team and they have to rein it in than a player that you have to beg to go be aggressive and a player that thinks too much about everything and is just tentative, which that has been my critique of late of Zaire is like, I just don't see this. Like, just go for it. Just try and stuff. And LaRavia too. And LaRavia. That's, yeah. that's another. Yes. Uh, so, but I, I could also tell late in the game, you know, the players knew that if they swung it over to Gigi Jackson, that ball is going up. And so, Will it be the best shot? Maybe not. You could tell that they were getting slightly frustrated. I mean, it also had to do with the result of the game so far. We were down by like 20 halfway through the third quarter. And so I, I just felt as if, though, there was some some um, frustration. That said, again, 
I'd rather have to rein in a guy who has the tools, who has the athleticism, and potentially has the shot. I'm not I'm not totally sold on it yet, uh, but again, overall for a pick in the 40s who's going to be on a two-way, I'll take anything that I can get from, from that range because nine out of ten times these guys are not in the league in two years, so... And then I think for me, you know, and part of the, it's like I said, I'm, I'm definitely in that I'm not like predicting anything. I'm just getting excited at potential. And part of it, you know, the difference between him and Lofton is like there is no changing Lofton's body type where he is. Like it's going to always be, okay, is what he's good at good enough to deal with the fact that he's just, he's not really a five, he's not really a four. We don't know what he is. Like we're always going to have to like, him being on the court means other things are going to have to give. Whereas like you look at Gigi Jackson and you think this guy is six, nine, a wing, like you can put him into whatever lineup. And if he can fulfill any sort of potential, he's just a, he's a plug and play guy um, and a wing that we need. And this is what our deal is. We got all these wings. We need just one of them, maybe two of them to be, good NBA players. And so I just think I'm excited about, Hey, maybe we have a guy who can be a good NBA player coming off the bench. Um, and that's why I get, I'm excited about, about his potential in that way. But I agree. I mean, he definitely, um, he definitely likes to put it up. He's not, he's not a, he's not a super willing passer, but like you said, sometimes that's a, that's a, a good thing, not a bad thing. Last player note from me before we move forward. Uh, Tariq Babarovic made an appearance in summer league. There's a very high chance we will not see him uh, again, <laughs> maybe even until next summer league, if he even decides to come then. Like I said, I was sitting next to Brevin for a lot of the game, which was fun, because Brevin was actually asking me like who that guy was. And so Brevin, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the best on the commentary, but he's enjoying his summer off. Uh, and I also was able to... Th- Longtime Grizzden Pod listeners will enjoy that I was able to slip in Marco Guterich's name because uh, Tariq Bavirovich plays with Marco on their Bosnian team. And so, uh, you know, just was able to uh, have that be one of our conversation topics with Brevin. I never, and he was like, wow, Marco Guterich, that's a deep cut. And I said, I know, man, I believed in him. Uh, any, any final summer league uh, notes from you? Uh, so the one other, just one final note, and, and it's it's a little, it's it's a small thing, but to me it's huge. If you've been a Grizzlies fan, you know, for forever, um, you know that we've had different sort of regimes, we've had different ownerships, and I just think for me there's just, there's a joy in our present, like, ownership. You talk about Jason Wexler, you know, climbing, Jenkins being there. Just and I know that that's more of the norm now than it was then, but they're just like I just feel like we're an organization that cares about all these things. We provide all these summer league guys tons of of coaching that people I think want to be on our summer league teams, and I just think and it is having watched probably more too. I'm too much of a degenerate watching too many summer league games. Uh, you can tell when a team is just coached well, has a system. Guys sort of know what they're doing, and and we just look that way. I mean, this has been something for the last two, three years. We just look like we're an actual organization with a culture and with a game plan, with a system. Like, we actually run sets. It's not glorified pickup ball at all. 
And it's just nice to see. It's like, especially when you look at some of the other franchises, and it's not shocking that the franchises that have the bad reps, you watch them play, and it's a disorganized mess. And you just watch us play, and it's like we play well. And you can tell that, and that you, the announcers always are noticing that, the analysts, that like we just have kind of a style. Even when we lose, you know, kind of because, you know, I was joking about a shot variance game in Summer League, but, you know, obviously they shot the ball super well. We shot it terribly. Um, we didn't play well at all. But even then, it's just like, but we played the right way, even like when we were playing poorly. And I just think that's just such a huge uh, difference. And it's just nice to see. It's just like it makes you feel good to be a Grizzlies fan um, and and what's kind of what's going on with our team. It's just it's just fun to see. All right, let's move to some some news. So Marcus Smart's press conference was in Vegas to officially um, announce his, his joining of the team. The Of course, these deals can be agreed to, but – they take some time to process. And so from July 6th up to now, we've, we've seen the deals and trades get finalized. You know, teams are still there for a while there. We, we didn't have resolution on a couple of the Grizzlies moves, but we finally do. The, the press conference was smart with smart was just a joy. I thought Um, it was, you can see how he will fit on this team like a glove. I loved his comment about somebody asked, you know, what he sees his role in the locker room being. And he said, I don't even know yet. I have to go in. I have to earn these guys trust. And having been a nine year vet in the league was the um, oldest rostered player. Well, not oldest, but longest tenured player on the Celtics. Um, Just, you can tell he is about the right things when it comes to how, uh, a team culture is built, how he is going to ingratiate himself both with the locker room, but I feel like also at the fans at large. Uh, I love that he is going to – he was one of the leading charge takers in the league. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies were one of the lowest-ranked teams in that area, so he will automatically have a boost in that stat category, and he's going to play a vital role with John Morant out the first 25 games of the season. You could see him being the lead guard and lead ball handler. Um, his his stats speak for themselves, but I will say you could tell, too, how excited Kleiman and Jenkins in particular were to have Marcus, mentioning that they've been on the hunt for him for a long time due to the, the the boxes that he checks in their mind of, you know, experience, tested, but also has the defense and the playmaking that they're about and wanting to uh, replace Dylan Brooks with and maybe even get an upgrade in that spot. So it was a really fun press conference. I know that smart, it's always tough to leave a situation that you feel like you've um, been in your whole career and have built to a, a large extent like in Boston he has, but I think he'll fit in Memphis. What do you think about the uh, smart presser? Yeah, I think it's hard to not be encouraged by it. I mean, you know, pressers usually go well, but especially for him, I think whatever – I had pretty high expectations and they were surpassed just um, by everything you heard about him off the court. You know, I because I'm, I'm some – you know, if you're a good – I don't have time to watch all the off-court stuff, so I don't know – what he's like off the court. I just know that he's a good locker room guy and he's great on, you know, what he has. I really want what he has on the court. And so kind of all the stuff we've heard the last month and two about the way he is in the community, 
the way it is in interviews and all that stuff that just, I was very encouraged and I, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker when I see Jenkins get super excited and it was like, you know, basically coming off the screen, how excited he was. So in that sense, uh, you know, because I think Jenkins knows more than anybody what he feels like the team is missing and what the team needs and his excitement uh, meant a lot to me as far as he just can't wait to get Marcus Smart into his system and with our players. And so I was excited about that. So I thought it was great. So it was like, it was, it was a, you know, as much as this, the, the uh, I guess, press conference and all that stuff, it was a plus all around. Um, you know, can't, couldn't have gone better, I think, and been more encouraged uh, about, about the addition. Another deal that was finalized was Desmond Bain's contract extension. On the last podcast, one of the, the big, I, I guess you could say, questions that I had about this deal was what were the incentives and what was the structure going to be? Because that was going to inform a lot of my reaction because the initial reporting for most players is as, as player-friendly as possible on the initial tweet, let's say, from um, Adrian Wojnarowski or Sham Sharani or whoever breaks the news. You're going to see the most favorable number because it's going to be coming from the agent. Now, Bain's contract is not going to be a 25% max. Yes, it is a round it is around whatever that number will be, but it is set in stone. It is not going to be based on the percentage of the cap. And the final numbers were a 197.2 million over 5 years with some incentives totaling 8.7 million. So 197 is a lot better than 207, even though it's a small margin. Those margins are very important when you're talking about being a team that is likely going to be in the tax definitely next year and maybe in years after that. Um, ironically enough, John Morant's final number after this year's cap uh, number came through is going to be also 197.2 guaranteed. So he and Bain are on identical contracts just one year apart. We have Jaron Jackson, of course, locked up for a very team-friendly contract, as well as Marcus Smart making an average of about $19 million for the next three years. And so this was really encouraging to me. I'm glad that there was, it seems as if there was some actual negotiating. Um, some other NBA reporters and other uh, analysts, I know I saw Nate Duncan tweet this out, that this is the first time under the new CBA that we've we've seen a five-year deal for a rookie extension that wasn't the max. Used to, if you were signing a fifth year on a, on a rookie max extension, it had to be the 25% max number. And so overall, I know this is getting into the weeds of the contract, but it will have a material impact um, as the Grizzlies plan their future. And I'm glad that we got a piece of our core locked in for a number that was a bit more favorable than the initial reporting. What was your reaction to the, to the numbers? Yeah, no, I out? think that's, uh, it was one of those you were hoping. And so I had said, you know, I'd kind of come to, like, I'd said, worst case scenario, this is the max. And I've just talked myself into, I think that was worth it for various reasons. We talked about that last pod. And so anything better than that was going to make it even more, even greater to me. So, so I, I'm excited about that. And I think, uh, you know, it's very cool if, if we think that the Marcus Smart edition now, like while we have our core three guys, he's kind of like a fourth kind of pillar of what we want to do these next three years. 
as we contend for a title, to have all four of these guys locked up for the next three years, um, you know, is is really awesome. And then, you know, in three years, Jaron will come available. But I actually think because of the way it's structured uh, and the cap going up, I think we will be able to, to I think, extend Jaron uh, pretty easily. And then, you know, obviously we're going to have to work around the margins. This is what's going to happen when you once you get to be a, like a tax team. But, um, but it just feels like we have positioned ourselves through some fortune uh, and some other things to be just uh, to be relevant, to contend, to be a top, you know, four or five NBA team, I think for the next, especially next three years, but I think next four or five years. And, and I think that's just really fun to not, to just know we have these guys, uh, you know, we're going to have all these guys for eight, nine, 10 years. Um, it's just really fun. It's a fun thing to have your favorite players for a really long time. And it's really exciting. And, um, and we'll see if Bain hits all these incentives or not. Um, but I think if he does, I think we're okay. And if he doesn't hit those incentives, I think it's, you know, it's, it's great that we got him for a little less than the max. And I love that the new CBA lets you extend guys for five years and, and kind of, been, you know, basically rewards you for drafting well and developing your own players. Yeah, we're not sure yet whether the incentives are likely or unlikely. That matters for some very minor accounting um, stipulations in the salary cap. So we'll see what the incentives are when they come out. The other thing I would push back on just a little bit from what you're saying is I don't know if we'll be able to extend Jaron that easily. I think that number might oh, be too yeah. low for us. Right, not extend him, but I, I just, in my mind... To re-sign yeah, him. Give him, in free agency, give him a, like a max contract, which is what he's going to get. He's going to get a max contract, barring disaster. Uh, so yeah, so we're not going to be able to extend him, but... Give him New a max contract. contract when his contract's over. Yeah, yeah Re- for sure. The uh, uh, yeah. Derek Rose does, it was confirmed, two years fully guaranteed. Um, everybody knows my thoughts on the matter, so we won't dwell on that yeah. anymore. Well, this is a fun conversation we had last time yeah. on that. And, and I will say, that just a note on that, just from the reporting, and uh, you know, I think that uh, there was an extreme... It, it really shows, I think Marcus Smart matters too, but uh, I mean, this was, he checked a box and we need a backup point guard for the first 25 games when Jaws out. Like there was the kind of a feeling, but a lot of us thought that we were going to get that suspension, you know, that we were going to get an extra roster spot to fill that after five games. Um, and so we didn't expect that. It is you know, and so we'll see. I mean, and I think it's to be judged. I mean, I've said it's a it's a really bad, bad signing if Derrick Rose gets injured the first 25 games. But I'll also say, honestly, this this is seems to be totally about Jaw. That it is it is a signing that we want we want sort of a mentor for Jaw. And you know, and I think that's what you hear coming out of the Knicks that he's he was great with the young guys um, on the Knicks. And all these things, but we'll see. I mean, it is very a wait and see. It's just weird to give a guy a two-year contract that we probably should have just given a one-year contract uh, for this very reason. And so I think it is. I mean, obviously, it's a very tradable contract for the second year, but um, but I think that is you know. So in that sense, while we had a fun conversation, I mean, I do see your reservations, um, and it does. It's weird to sign a guy for what seems like ninety percent off-court reasons. Uh, is a very strange thing. So, That's a very succinct way of summarizing my reservations, so I'll just leave it at that for the sake of time. Um, the Dylan Brooks sign-and-trade 
has been officially finalized. It is a five-team deal, and just for fun, I'm going to read the different aspects of this five-year deal. So a deal the, for a month in the making. That's this right. Deal. That's right. So they we traded Dylan Brooks to the Houston Rockets. The Atlanta Hawks traded Alpha Kaba to the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets traded Usman Garuba and Ty Ty Washington Jr. to the Atlanta Hawks. The Rockets also traded Kenyon Martin to the Clippers. The Houston Rockets also traded Josh Christopher to the Grizzlies. The Rockets also traded Patty Mills to the OKC Thunder. The Clippers traded Vanja Marinkovic to the Grizzlies. And the Oklahoma City Thunder traded Cash to the Atlanta Hawks. And, of course, the main attraction for the Grizzlies was not Josh Christopher, though he was a player that we received in return. It was the trade exception that was um, that was originated by this deal happening and a trade exception is active for one year so we have until next uh summer to use this exception which we why i don't know why we wouldn't use it uh, by the time the season ends unless there is just no deal out there we had to we had to take a player from a different team or had to have some sort of deal with another team in this trade since it was three or more teams involved and that's a CBA, what they call the NBA touch requirement, which is you have to have at least two um, assets incoming or outgoing with at least two teams in a trade if you're involved in one of these size deals. I fully expect this is a, this was a draft and stash guy from a couple of years ago. We're just going to hold his rights, and he can be used later on in a trade. This is not a big deal. Josh Christopher... I fully expect us to probably end up waiving him or trying to trade him to another team for, let's say, like a second-round pick. Um, the trade exception number is going to depend on the amount, actually, that Dylan Brooks ends up making off of his contract. And when I mentioned earlier that the reporting usually is favorable to the player or as favorable to the player as it's going to be uh, when it's initially tweeted out, Dylan Brooks is the rare exception to where somehow... He actually is making more than the initial reports uh, mentioned, which is $90 million over four years. Granted, about $4 million in incentives, but $86 million guaranteed over four years from the Houston Rockets. I got to say, um, even though I think Dylan Brooks can be a winning player, this is a very, very expensive deal uh, for a guy that has shown some, um, shall we say, weaknesses in the past few years that are important if you're trying to um, win in very big moments. And so congrats to the Rockets on, on getting that deal done. Um, and yes, I the final trade exception number, because we also we're going to talk about this second deal that the Grizzlies made, which is primarily draft capital oriented, but also involved us taking back a player. But the exception is going to be around seven point one to seven point four million uh, going into this season. We'll see if the Grizzlies end up using it before the season starts. I think they should try uh, to maybe replenish some of their assets that they spent this summer by just taking on a one-year contract that would then expire at the end of the season because we do have enough room under the tax. And so what were your thoughts about this five-team trade finally getting finalized? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always fun to see, you know, you had to (laughs) continue to see how complicated it was going to get as all the reports came out. Uh, It doesn't make me feel better. I mean, I feel like we were talking, you know, I was uh, last summer we were talking at the time we were like starting to get nervous, like, man, is Dylan somebody who could make 20 to $25 million? And I was, and I was thinking maybe so. 
Um, and, and so it's weird to think that he is like that he's going to be making, I think what, like 23, 24 million dollars next year. Uh, obviously he's doing a descending contract, which he did with the Grizzlies as well. So his agent knows that process well, but, uh, but yeah, so he's, he really did get paid and maybe that's why, maybe that's why there was such nice, uh, if the, if you saw the pictures of, of him hanging out with Jenkins and Kleiman and the rest of the Grizzlies. I know obviously, you know, it's all business and I know that they still have good relationships and stuff, but, uh, but it seemed like it was all smiles afterwards. Dylan got paid. He was happy. And I just think it's, you know, like I said, uh, and we'll get more to this. I'll make my point stronger with this next deal coming up, but I just, I love that our team continues to work on the margins. Uh, it knows, Hey, we, we're going to be over the cap, but we want to take advantage of having a guy signed with you know, that we can sign a guy and trade him so that we keep some cap flexibility and just don't lose, you know, kind of this money to the vapors that we like keep it somehow. And so now we have this, you know, a little over 7 million trade exception to use to give us more flexibility. Even if, like you said, it's just to replenish some second round picks or some things to use that just are, I just love that our front office is always working, always trying to take advantage of situations. And, I also think unless we can trade him uh, to a team for some reason, you know, I expect the Josh Christers probably might never even walk onto the Grizz, uh, uh, walk into FedEx Forum and probably just get waived before the season. But we'll see. Yeah, 100% agree. This trade exception is a big deal, as I mentioned on our last podcast. It's it's making something out of what seemingly was going to be nothing. Uh, you're seeing the opposite effect with a team like the Raptors, who I've been down on this offseason with losing Van Vliet for nothing. At least they could have tried to maybe sign and trade him to the same team that Dylan Brooks just got signed and traded to the Rockets and just get something back, if nothing else, just the trade exception like we were talking about. So uh, just some uh, a successful move by the front office and then one that was additionally, uh, to me, it was, it was a much-needed uh, deal after the whole Derrick Rose saga to me just to, to renew faith in our front office, which was the Grizzlies trading three second-round picks to the Phoenix Suns for two first-round pick swaps, uh, the first one in 2024, the second one in 2030. We also took back Isaiah Todd in the deal, which was going to essentially help us to, or help Phoenix in their luxury tax situation they find themselves in. And we also take on a guy that's a team option for next year, so we're probably going to end up trying to trade or waive him as well. Uh, the, the seconds that we send out are the 2025 Pelicans that we had, and then also our own 2028 and 2029 second round picks. And why the reason Phoenix did it is because, like I said, saving on luxury tax, but also they just need more assets to trade. They've used just all their first round picks available and just need second round picks to make other deals on the margins in the next couple of years while they're trying to build a championship contender for and, and, and find cheap players. Uh, they're also, for us, it's a huge deal, in my opinion, more so in 2030 than 2024 because it shows that we are we are betting on the Phoenix Suns not working, which I think you and I are on the record as saying we do not think it's going to work, especially in the next, like after two years from now when all those players are either old or expiring and they have no first-round picks to um, replace them with. And it's just going to be, I think, a very dark dark times ahead for the Suns after, let's say, the 2026 season. And so what this, what this entails, though, because it's a little bit confusing, we are we are swapping for the right to the first round pick that is the lesser of Phoenix and Washington. 
So what that means is if we are better than both Phoenix and Washington, then we get whatever pick is in the middle. So if Washington has the 12th pick, Phoenix has the 18th pick, and we have the 22nd pick, we will get Phoenix's 18th pick and swap with them. So they will then get our 22nd pick. Now, if any, if either of those teams are better than us, and thus their first-round pick is later in the draft, let's say in 2030, then we we will not swap in that situation because we have the right to swap, which we, of course, we would not swap if it's less favorable. And so we are essentially betting on both Phoenix and Washington being uh, worse than us. I love this deal because second-round picks are... Um, they're currency in the NBA, but they're not, you don't see a ton of upside from second round picks. There is a lot of upside in this 2030 first round pick swap with Washington and Phoenix. And I think having the opportunity there is worth the price that we paid, especially since the player we took back is not affecting our tax situation in 2024 and beyond. So this is a great marginal move by Kleiman. It's one of my my favorite types of moves that he's made in the past, just taking advantage of teams that are um, that have not a lot of assets in the coffers and need to to find a ways ways to get them and are willing to pay a potentially high price for them. So what do you think about the deal? I mean, I like I'll, I'll try to not be too hyperbolic, but this like this is. This is the kind of move that is like we're going to win a title type move. I know that doesn't it doesn't mean that we're going to win a title because of this move. It just means we have the kind of front office and culture that allows for this kind of move. Because for a GM to make a move that might not pay off till 2030 is just so rare in the NBA when GMs get fired all the time, when it's always short-term thinking. Um, you know, when we think about like when we talk about the Pelicans all the time and we're talking about the Suns too, which are going to matter now, but like the Pelicans and how like, they, like one of the things about Griffin is it's always these short term moves and, and how like the struggle that that is. And sometimes it pays off a little bit, but the fact that we're like, we're able to make a move that might not pay off for six, seven years. And because of the confidence our, our team has, our front office has uh, in the, in the long term thinking. And it's just huge. And even, for next year, I mean, think about there were two or three second round picks given up just to move up a couple spots in the drafts in the first round. And so even if we move up just one or two spots, uh, that that basically I think it was already worth it. And yet the 2030 is huge for us because, um, you know, it, it's hard to explain people. But like if you know the NFL, you know that the NFL has a hard cap. And one of the things that NFL teams end up having to do is that they end up really mortgaging the future uh, often and like pushing a lot of salaries down the down the line so they can really go for the short term. And this is like what the the Rams in particular did uh, two Super Bowls ago is they signed all these people, did all this cap magic, and just made the pain took made the pain happen later. And and they're going to suffer for it now. They won a Super Bowl, amazing for them. But you're going to see that their depth they can't do all the things they used to do because they they pushed all their money early to down down the road. That's essentially what the Suns are doing is they're doing all these moves for short-term kind of survival and gain and they're really in trouble uh, when we get to this 2030. I mean it's it's going to be really interesting to see if they're like even a feasible team at all. And so honestly for me 2030 is going to be more about hoping the Wizards still suck, which they've sucked for a while, so I'm hoping they they are still bad in those years. 
But there's potential that this could be great, and it, it's, it would be perfectly timed as – I mean, which is crazy because it's forever away, but perfectly timed when our big three that we have now are all making a ton of money, potentially sort of hitting sort of the end of their peak uh, time as NBA players. It's the exact time when uh, we, we might be in a Suns-type position where it's like we're holding on – we're trying to find short term. We're trying to find easy money, and all of a sudden, we wind up crazily with this lottery pick uh, because of this move we made six, seven years earlier. Um, so I'm super excited about it. And by the way, we need payback. So I'm already a blind under on the Suns for next year. But like the Lakers, we made an amazing trade with the Pelicans and that Lakers pick. Lakers screwed us by us not getting a really good lottery pick, uh, and so I'm annoyed about that. So this hopefully. Uh, th- this will be payback for that. Like kind of in the same way, you said no, you, you saved the seat. You didn't let Jason Wexler sit down to you. You were awarded with Brevin Knight. This is what my, my hope is that we didn't get the Lakers lottery pick, but we'll be rewarded uh, both next year and in 2030 uh, with these great picks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we're talking about 2030, but there's a very real possibility that the Grizzlies are better than, it would definitely be better than the Wizards, but they could be better than the Suns. In next year, and even if it's like twenty-five to twenty-three, that's like I mean, even if it's just one or two places in the first round, like that, that really matters. And people give up multiple second-round picks to make a move like that. So, I think it's great. In some, plus it allows us to cheer against the Suns even more the next year, hundred so, percent, which is exciting. In some off-court news, which will will end with with these few, Pete Pranica signed a three-year contract extension. I he had tweeted out this sort of cryptic I'll have professional news later today type tweet. I had hypothesized that he would be signing with Grind City Media and that would be his news. Um I did not think that Pete Pranica was going to be leaving and he did say and I'm not exactly sure how these contracts work. I'm not exactly sure whether Pranica and Brevin are paid by the Grizzlies or they're paid by Bally. Um but either way, Pete Brandica is going to be on the broadcast for at least the next three years. He, uh, whether or not that's on uh, Grind City Media or Bally or what have you, he will be calling the games. Um, Brevin, I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but he didn't. He doesn't seem to be going anywhere based on my uh, face-to-face intel uh, yesterday. So that's that's exciting. I think that the Grizzlies yeah. continue to have one of the best broadcasting teams in the NBA, and they've really. Um, it's been it, it's one of my favorite parts about watching the game uh, locally, and I, I prefer them even in the playoffs to any national team that's out there. So exciting yeah. news for uh, Grizzlies yeah. watchers. They regularly, you know, on like NBA Twitter polls and just different articles, like they regularly get in the top five, six of NBA, uh, you know, casters uh, around the league on the league pass rankings. And so I'm excited about that. Also, just like throwing around, because I know you've been in Vegas, but uh, Pete Pranker came on the, Cal- uh, the Jeff Calkins show yesterday, and Jeff asked him about uh, Bally, and uh, he gave a very cryptic, uh, well, we, you know, just kind of like, well, we don't know what's, uh, you know, it, it could be Bally, but we don't know. It was, it was a very interesting, you know, he said it was with Bally, the contract, but we also oh, know that okay. there's some things up in the air for the fall. So, but he like was very cryptic. Uh, hmm. about so I think that it's still going to be interesting to watch uh, where the Grizzlies games will be broadcast come the fall so 
Yeah, gotcha. Well, that's interesting that he mentioned that it, it was with Bally, and I fully expect some news in the next month or so as they test out the Grind City Media streaming on um, on the Summer League. And I know that um, my wife at home was trying to find the Grind City Media app on our Apple TV, and it wasn't there. So they no. still have to develop that side of things. Right now, I, yeah, it's I believe, only now. believe it's yeah. only mobile. So um, they're starting small. We'll see where it goes. Of course, you know that this podcast especially is going to be um, keeping up with that story for sure. Um, okay, the last couple of things, not the most fun topics, but uh, John Morant and his um, the legal situation that he finds himself in with, with the Holloway kid from the uh from the fight last year at his house and if you're not up to date on those details essentially there was a um there was a pickup game at the Morant residence there was a a high school kid there who was playing and I say kid but he was really 17 and there was essentially a um a minor scuffle that broke out and this is when accusations were flying around about what did was there threaten threatens made uh, were there threats made with firearms? Was it just a small fight that was then broken up and everybody left and went home? And this was going to try to be let's say like a just a cash grab opportunity from Holloway and his legal team. Well, the Morant legal team recently tried to or is trying to file a motion to dismiss the case based on the fact that there is a clause or a statute for self-defense that they are going to try to um, essentially um, put forward to where the courts are going to then throw out the case and this whole thing is going to be closed. There, This gets into some areas in which you and I don't have uh, expertise, but from my understanding, this is a, a Tennessee statute that applies to where there are criminal charges or civil charges already filed right now, Morant does not have any charges filed, so the Holloway team is contesting this motion to dismiss. Also, they're saying that this whole self-defense uh, defense is coming way too late, that this should have been one of the very first, uh, I guess you could say, objections to the case as it was coming out. So there's that whole thing. This, this hearing is scheduled for Wednesday morning at 8 a.m., so we'll know whether or not this case is going to be dismissed on the uh, based on the statutes I'm sure I've done a terrible job at explaining this over the last two minutes or so but the bigger news in all of this is that Devonte Pack who has been involved in a lot of these uh, situations where Moran has found himself in precarious positions especially related to to guns has there is a warrant out for his arrest and he recently had a deposition that was released where he um, which was found and published in public record and where he was saying that basically trying to set the record straight for the fight and everything that was involved and seemingly I mean this is just speculation but coming off of this deposition there was some grounds for a, an arrest warrant or maybe there was further evidence that was discovered that we are not privy to yet but Doc Holliday initially had that report the Daily Memphian and others confirmed it uh, from just rumblings that I've heard there has been a falling out between Morant and Devontae Pack they did unfollow each other on social media 
And, of course, there's been a lot of criticism levied towards Morant for his involvement with somebody that was going to be continuously putting him into these positions. And so we do not exactly know how this situation is going to resolve itself, but it seems to be a very big deal um, based on not only this whole court situation with Morant, but also just the fact that there could be further ramifications. And um, I hope that this jaw has been on Twitter recently, uh, mainly just innocent tweets about, you know, his, his teammates and other things. I, I still kind of don't love when I, whenever I see that tweet notification come through. Um, I, I'm enjoying this, this sort of silent jaw or have been until this last few days. Uh, so craft any thoughts on this matter? I, I don't love talking about it on the podcast because I feel like it is a complex situation with a lot of a lot involved with it, but I think it's it's notable and we have to touch on it if it's if it's going to have to do with with John Morant and this this whole situation. So what are your general thoughts? Yeah, I mean I just think it's 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 unfortunate this stuff keeps staying in the news. It's just there. I mean that's I guess, you know, the the basic from a not, you know, just a non-lawyer standpoint, just at the end of the day, you know, when you hear that people settle cases and even if, you know, somebody feels like it's annoying, they pay off people to go away quietly. You know, this is why. And, you know, in some ways, like I, I respect, uh, you know, I don't know because we don't we weren't there. But I I like at least I respect the, the fact that the Morants and Jaw um, are fighting this and they weren't going to just pay, you know, the hallways off to go away quietly, but this is the negative of what you get. I mean, what you get is what you get is, um, you know, a family in a lawsuit and, and lawyers who are continually putting things out in the press, uh, continually making things known, uh, friends saying things in depositions that might incriminate them, uh, with Shelby County Sheriff, like, that it just that the mess just keeps coming, and so in that sense, I'm sad uh, because I just think it's not going away anytime soon. There's going to be things that keep coming out, and so you know potentially you could have you know trials or things where now you're having people testify about you know and and that um, even if Jaws found fine in self defense, now he's going to have to be talking about what his friend did and whether he like you know cheap shotted a 17 uh, year old and. So in that sense, it's just it's it's like a sad situation that I would love to see go away, uh, but at the same time, for whatever reason, uh, the Morant team is fighting it, um, and and we'll see, you know, what comes about. But it it's just it's like you know time. It's like uh, jaw, mer, no more jaw on the blogs uh, has yet to come to fruition. I, I hope it does. And I don't, you know, in, the, in a good way, it's nothing since, since the the gun slash lighter slash uh, car episode that we dealt with. There's there's not been anything present that's put John on the blogs. Um, that it's all stuff in the past. But it, it it'll be nice when we can really move on with this stuff. Hopefully, someday we can. So, Adam Silver had comments at a uh, Associated Press sports editors meeting yesterday where it was an open forum. He had a few questions, though, off the bat from, I believe it was Kendra Andrews. The very first question, reportedly, at this event had to do with John Morant's suspension, where his comments were, the question was, you know, some are saying this was, you went too far with the 25 games and with the additional 
seems as though rehab process is going to be involved. And his pushback was, you know, we want this, we don't want this just to simply be a check the box process. We want Ja to be able to have um, involvement in what is formulated for his rehabilitation. And he also mentioned how anything involved with guns is going to be treated differently. And that's the, he has, he has guns in a category of their own when it comes to these uh, incidents. And so to me, it was a, I still think 25 games what is setting a precedent for future, uh, hopefully not many of these incidents, but it, it, it's still a little too far and overreaching in my opinion, but he did provide at least a bit more context into what the logic was behind the games plus the stipulations. I don't think it's a full scope. I, I don't I don't nod my head and say, okay, I, I am satisfied with that answer because I think it was a slight non-answer on the games side of things, but at least we know kind of where the uh, the commissioner's administration is in their stance on on all of these things. And so I'm I'm also he's there's a lot of information being passed around in summer league and Adam Silver has has had a lot to talk about and so uh, there could be some amendment to this to this statement as as he continues to be asked these questions but for what it's worth Tim Bontemps had this report uh, on ESPN if you want to read the full comments but I thought it was worth mentioning on the pod that um, he is still being asked and challenged about that decision yeah I just think I mean it's I, I think I'm continually reminded that uh, one thing that's just we're not used to that we we have a superstar on our team and that he just unfortunately right now he's in the news for a lot of the wrong reasons but he's just always going to be uh, when he does something notable it's it's going to be in the news and he's people are media is going to be are going to be you know asking the commissioner about it asking teams about it that he's Highlights of him are going to be leading off, um, you know, one A of highlights. It's just w- what what happens with with Jaw, and so it's it's kind of be interesting. I mean, obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about what we think about it, and uh, but it looks like I mean, right now it looks like no sign. All signs point to maybe Jaw not deal. You know, um, that the suspension is probably going to be twenty five games. It doesn't look like he's going to fight it. So, well. Um, not ending on the most fun note, but we did have a lot to discuss. Summer League has, has been very worth it. I would recommend it if you ever get the opportunity to uh, to fly on out to Vegas and, and see the spectacle. Um, it is worth it. We'll be uh, potentially checking in with another episode if there's anything notable. The Grizzlies play on, uh, or tomorrow, we're recording on Tuesday, the Grizzlies play tomorrow. They're the first game again in Cox Pavilion, so I'll be there early. They're going to be playing the Clippers, who I actually got to see late last night. Clippers don't have many notable uh, players on their roster. Uh, It's really only like Jason Preston, their second-year draft pick, and Kobe Brown. Um, But it'll still be a fun opportunity to see the Grizzlies play one more time at least while I'm in town. Um, and to maybe have some more to share with the listeners. So thanks for sticking with us through this big episode, but lots of excitement, lots of news, lots of notes. Thanks for joining us for Craft. I'm Will. We will talk to you very soon.